everybody, and welcome to the Great Scott Podcast. This is Michael Scott again, and with me today is comedian Bruce Smirnoff. Hey, hey wow. Bruce, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, my, my pleasure. I'm glad that, uh, that you said yes. How many people listen to this show? Are they, is it in the hundreds of thousands or the millions? <laughs> I'm not quite there yet, but I'll let uh, you know when I get there. Oh, cool. Well, I, put me down as number one. Put, okay. I will definitely, definitely do that. Uh, so um, how are you? So, so you're in Florida, right? I live in Delray Beach, Florida. I used to live uh, in Los Angeles. I grew up in Connecticut, and then I moved to Florida, Miami, in 2003. And I have been in South Florida ever since. It's great. It's not a lot of work if you're a stand-up comedian unless you work like the cruise ships. But it's a great place to live. It's uh, very affordable housing and, uh, of course, no uh, winter whatsoever. So, yeah, that, that's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, is it pretty hot where you are? It's about, I think it's about 94 today, but that's just what it is. Yeah. yeah. And very humid on and, top and, of it. And very humid, yeah. Same, same here in uh, Kansas City, so... I used to work at uh, Stanford and Sons in Overland Park. Oh, yes. Near there. There's, there's actually quite a few uh, famous comedians that actually got their start there. I know a lot of guys. My good friend Rick Brown. Do you know Rick? Rick started as a comic, then he became a manager. Now he's a uh, artist, and he lives in Kansas City. Mike Ciccone. Do you know Mike? Uh, the name sounds familiar. Great comedian. A lot of, yeah, a lot of guys started in KC. It's a great, great place. Uh, Lewis Black said that he also got his start at. I didn't uh, know that. Oh, so, I didn't. Yeah. Know. Yeah. No. So, anyway, so um, so you are a comedian, and uh, I've been a comedian for forty-one years. Forty-one years. And wow. I have I have nothing to show for it. It's amazing, <laughs> and I'm really funny. But it took me so long to get funny, <laughs> and it just doesn't matter. But uh, you know, thank God everything is good. And uh, but yes, I have nothing to. I, you can IDMB me, and uh, I don't think anything comes up. I think there's more. I think Charles Manson has more uh, audio and video <laughs> than I have. Nothing. <laughs> I don't know if that's if I even should be laughing at that. If it's very funny, you should be laughing at it. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> So are you currently uh, performing? Yes. Here's, what, here's the story. I lived in L.A. for 23 years. I left. Um, I went to New York after that because I always wanted to live in New York. I kind of gave up on, on trying to break through. I, I had stars in my eyes for many years. And then I'd say 2001, I tried to get that out, just be a comedian, but not try to become famous and all that because that's what drove me. It's a, it's a big sickness in this business, but yes, I think I, I had tried to wash it out. I went to New York and I was performing at all the great clubs. There are super clubs there, a great camaraderie amongst comedians. And, um, it was a great life for about two years, but then I caught myself. I think that last comic standing show came out around then. And I found myself going, how come, how, how come they don't want me? I, I got to get on that. I, I, I could be great. I could win that. And then I caught myself trying to break through. So to punish myself, I moved to Florida to really get away from uh, uh, that whole got to make it thing. And I tried to come, when I came down, I tried to get into business. I met a couple of people. I wanted to open up like a yogurt stand. I met a guy who owned yogurt places. I met a guy who knew about coin operated laundry machines. I really tried to get away and, and just try to be a normal person. But there were these things, these condominiums, these senior citizen places down here. And um, I was about 40 
six when I came down here. And I have that old time Catskill type of sense of humor. So I was actually a fresh, a fresh face for these condos. And they paid, they paid decent money for what you get in LA and New York. They paid great money. And I started, you know, working these condos. And of course, there's no fame involved in that. It's just money. And I was making more money than I had ever made before in conjunction with, you know, working the comedy stop in Vegas, Atlantic City and, and, and Stanford and Sons, like we just talked about. And then working these these senior citizen places, I got so good because you have to be very clean. And I got really clean. Not that I was an X-rated comedian, but I was salty like everyone else. And then, uh, you know, the ship headquarters are down here, all the cruise lines. And I got offered a date on a ship uh, where you had to be really clean and there wasn't a problem for me. And then that worked out. And that that's even more money than these condos. So at the age of like, I don't know, like 47, I hit this period of making pr- pretty good money. It's not, you know, it's not what people on Wall Street make, but it's quite a bit more than, you know, hit, you know, striking out in L.A. or New York. So it was this like renaissance but without the fame. I was totally not knowing that I'm going nowhere, but I was getting better and better. So that's where I'm at in life. And then ultimately I was offered a part-time job working for a cruise ship agency. It's called Don Casino Productions. They're headquartered in Miami and they are one of the largest talent bookers in the cruise industry. So I kind of have a part-time job with that, bringing in new talent. And uh, so I've got this great little life, but I don't think about uh, of fame anymore. But the, unfortunately, that's what sucks people into this industry when you first start out is that whole thing of the glitz, getting the best seat in the restaurant, getting all the girls to go out with you, all that. So, you know. So let me ask you, so you, yes, men- sir. So you mentioned that um, you had stars in your eyes and you were uh, going for the fame thing. Yeah, I was overweight as a kid. And everybody wants to be popular. And I found that I had a great sense of humor, but I wasn't, you know, you what guy, guy wants the girls. It's that whole, that whole thing. So, uh, and I remember in like, I think it was eighth grade. I had a bit in a school production and I had to dye my hair. I had to be an old man. So they put powder in my head and I had a lot of hair then. And I had a hat on and I went out on stage and whatever my part was, I had to lift off my hat, tip it to a young lady. And it was a very serious role. But when I tipped my hat, all this powder, you know, this cloud came out and people <laughs> went crazy. And I, and I caught that was like the first public. You're talking about 700 kids in an auditorium and a, and a, a genuine scream of laughter and it's a sickness it's just i guess a drug addict would tell you the first time they did drugs they got this uh, insane high but that, we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about the show business high which is terribly terribly addicting and i got that like i guess in seventh grade so we're that 1967 something like that so yes never so, went away so now uh, it's cool i washed it out of my system <laughs> It does come back when you do a great show, like if you're on a ship or a condo, but it, you just get the good feeling, but there's no more, you know, you don't have that, gee, if I could just, you know, if, if the Tom, Johnny Carson show could see me, just, you don't have that. I, some people, unfortunately, still have that at my age, but I've been able, and for my, and, and maybe it's good for them, but in my situation, it, it, you know, the reality is in, and I get a wonderful, nice feeling after a great show, and then I go to the Cheesecake Factory 
I have a slice of cheesecake and everything's good. And then I go to bed and start all over again the next day. So, um, so you have, what's that place, you know, Overland Park, right? Yes. There's a market, there's a fancy market there. It's out of, is it Balducci's? It's a, no, it's Dean and DeLuca. You know where that is? Cause that's out of New York. And I was amazed that they had a branch in, um, Oakland Park. Is that still there? Uh, yeah, I do believe so. Yeah. So I used to go there for coffee during the day. That was good. Yeah. So it's all about food as you get older, Mike. It's about finding a nice piece, nice piece of cheesecake, a nice cup. <laughs> so, uh, so when you're younger, it's about. Uh, well, never mind. I won't. I won't. Right. I, I, I get a feeling that you're you're one of these. Uh, you're very. Uh, um, uh, you you're, you are a what is the word? You, you, I can't go on the funky side of show business with you. I got to keep it straight and narrow, and I respect that, and I will. So, uh, so what advice would you? Well, he doesn't give? even answer me. It's I must have hit that right on the head. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, I learned that. You know, on the ships, can we talk about religion and things like that? What not to say on ships and things? Would you like to hear inside stuff like that? Sure. Well, on these cruise ships, obviously, people don't go on cruise ships to see shows. They go on cruise ships to have a vacation, and the shows just happen to be part of it, and. You have very religious people in the audience and you have very hedonistic people in the audience, but you never want to disturb anyone. You know, so the whole idea on being on a ship is like it's like be funny, but you can't cross any line. You have there are late shows. And when you do a late show, it's mature only, blah, blah, blah. But when you're doing those family shows, that's the one thing. There's so many comedians contact me and they want to do the ships. And these guys are funny. These are drop dead funny guys. But they never, ever had to restrict their language. And they shouldn't because a comedy club is, listen, you walk in those doors, whatever happens, happens. You can't complain. But on ships, it's more like the hotel industry and people do complain and the ships are very uh, conscious of conscious of a bad complaints and you can lose your job if you say the wrong thing. So yes, that's, that's the one thing uh, uh, when you look at comedy on these ships, it has to be really funny, but you have to walk a fine line. You can't uh, offend people and you can't talk about religion and you can't use the Lord's name in vain because that's that's the third rail right there. So there's all these things. I tell these comics, you know, it's like you could say this, you could say that, but you can't say this. And you can't. And these guys, what are you talking about? I go, just trust me. You can't talk about that or you get in trouble. So, yes. So uh, I know that this that. is a uh, kind of a ending question, but I think uh, it kind of goes perfectly. What advice would you give to someone who's um, aspiring to be a comedian? Maybe... Not so much as the famous part, um, but... Uh, well, no, everyone's, everyone wants to be famous. You sure, do, You don't sure. do this as a part-time thing. Um, my first thing is, is I would, I would try to discourage you from doing it because it's... Uh, I, I, I had my... My family had a business. I chose not to go into it. I would have been extremely successful had I done that. And my mother... I didn't have a, my father passed away when I was very young. My mother like had a, a, a businessman come and talk to me he, they, and they very politely tried to talk me out of, uh, of being in show business, but I wouldn't listen. And I understand now at that I'm almost 60. I'll be 60 in a, in a couple of months. I realized what they were. Happy birthday. Like, hey, thank you. And 
it's as you get older, you know, if you choose to have a family and you choose to have a, a you want to have an existence along with your career, you have to have a lot of money. You have to you have to bring it in. And this business is extremely hit or miss. So you have to know that going in. And when I was um, I, I, I used to when I was uh, 20, I spent, you know, what the Catskill Mountains are. Yes, that's First the. First of all, uh, how much time? How much time do we have here? Are we here to talk for like two more minutes? Are we here for ten? What do we? Because I can tell you these parables and stories, but I don't know how long we were going here. Oh, uh, as long as you want to. Okay, how about in, how about four hours? Is that good? <laughs> I, I squeeze it in. But I I once spent the summer in the Catskill Mountains. This owner of a hotel was very. My family was in the hotel business, so I had written letters to these hotel owners saying, "I'm my family's in the hotel business, but I want to be a comedian." And I found this one owner of the Brickman Hotel. His name was Murray Posner, a great man, very important in my life. And he wrote me back. He was the only one that wrote me back and said, "Hey, I'm in the hotel business, but when I was a boy, I wanted to be a comedian." So we felt this kinship, and he invited me up to work for him for the summer. And I used to sit at his table and watch. I was there like May, June, July, and August. And I watched all these great comedians, some of whom were like Norm Crosby, who crossed over very big. And, of course, the great Jackie Mason and Jan Murray, who crossed over. A lot of the, the, these are people that crossed over nationally. But the Catskills are also a regional area where it's very Jewish area. And a lot of those comics were extremely Jewish guys. I'm that way. And it was really a lot of those guys. But And they were great, great comedians, but they didn't cross over to greatness, some of them, but even though they were great comedians. So I used to sit with a pad and a pen at the end of the show because I would be with the owner, of course, and these comics had to be very nice to him. So we'd go for coffee and I would ask them questions, you know, like a, like a little kid would, you know, what do you think is the most important thing about being a... And these guys he used to answer me and I'd take these copious notes but they all warned me. They said, if you want to have a family and you don't break through, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And, I, and consequently, I was so desperate in wanting to be famous and put everything off the side. I didn't even think about long-term relationship with women. I thought nothing about a family. I, I, to be honest with you, I really don't have any regrets about that now because I have very few worries in my life. So, But that's not also right. You should have a family. You know, you should, those are all good things to do. But I learned from these guys who like used to look, they used to lean over the table and I know we're on radio or we're, we're not, we're, we're only on an audio thing now, but I'm telling you, they look over the table and these guys look me in the eyes and then they say, don't get married. Don't have kids. It will cripple everything. And I just said, yes, sir. And I write down, don't get married, <laughs> don't have kids. I mean, it was like mantras. I mean, because I was getting it. How many people got this privilege of these comics? The last person they wanted to speak to was a 19-year-old idiot. And they had to because the owner wouldn't book them back if they, if they wouldn't uh, be nice to me. So I used to have these people's ears. You know, Jackie Mason, Jan Mur These are some of the greatest comedians. The, and there were guys like Van Harris, Burt Lee. These are just names I'm sure. I could sit here if I had to name them all. I probably, I can remember 90% of them. And these guys were wonderful. They, had, they all had great acts. I don't know how original they were, but it didn't matter because they really weren't on television. But they were, they were fantastic. And they, but I took that advice and I struggled for a long time. Uh, you could, 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 could say that I'm still struggling, but 
I just don't have the aspirations. So what I would say to a young person, it's very, very difficult. So you have to know you're funny. And you have to know you're funny. You have to know you're funny. I mean, I can't tell you how you know it, but you have to know it. And, and um, you know, there's guys that, you know, I was a MC at the Improv. I wasn't, when I moved to LA in uh, 1978, it wasn't good enough really to have a, uh, to have a 15 minute act at that point. But Bud Friedman, the owner of the improv used to let me MC audition nights. And that, that grounded me, that got me, um, anchored and I developed from there, but I used to bring guys on and I used to go, boy, that guy's got good material. He stinks. He stinks. He's going nowhere. Cause I was such unfortunately bitterness and all this crazy. stuff. I would watch these guys. I go, he stinks, but he's got good material. And you know who those guys turned out to be Mike, those guys, <laughs> Turned out the biggest, they just stopped doing stand-up. They went into writing and they went into producing because they had, I can't tell you the biggest names in show business. And I would like judge everybody whether they were funny or not. I should go, I could have been friends with these people, but because everything was all about, can they be funny on stage? I didn't understand that these people were going to be the stars, the geniuses, the producers of the future. I'm not going to mention names, but it's everybody, everybody. So not everybody can do stand-up is what I'm saying. But, but a lot of you know, people can produce and you can write. So if you're funny and you're not, for whatever reason, you're not connecting on stage, look into writing. If you got good marks in school, if you can sit behind the uh, computer for hours and create material... I didn't have that kind of discipline. And I know a lot of comedians don't have that discipline. It's like, it's like, uh, Hey, it's like a racetrack kind of humor. Hey, it's funny in the moment, but write it down, write it down, develop it, make taglines. If you can't do that, or if you can do that really well and you're on stage, isn't that great. Then you should think about writing. There's no, it's no terrible thing to be a writer. It's no terrible thing to be worth millions i'm telling you these guys are worth gazillion they don't know what to do with their money and all their awards that they make and if you have the discipline to write and you're getting results on stage well then those are the people you're watching you know the, i think jerry seinfeld um this guy's work habits i don't know him very well i probably don't know i maybe i've maybe said nine words to him in my life but from what i know a lot of people that are tight with him and his work habits were beyond you know, uh, uh, outstanding. And my work habits were terrible. You know, I'd go try to ride the farmer's market. I'd put an hour in and then I'd just start talking to people. It just, I, I, looking back, I can see I was not a writer, but some of these guys are. And if you have the right combination of good writing, Dennis Miller, there's your Dennis Miller, Bill Maher. These are guys that are really good standups, but their IQs are you know, it's off the charts. They got to have IQs like 170. You know, I, 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 it's just amazing. It really is. I mean, uh, so basically, who were some of your favorite uh, comedians growing up? I had a handful. When I first started out, it was Bill Cosby. And I don't know why, because I reached a point in my life where I would listen to him. And I go, I used to think that was funny. It was he's he was great, all that stuff. But I did never morphed into that type of comedy. But as a kid, I guess those were the readily available albums. Then I went to Don Rickles. Then, like a lot of guys my age-ish, all came across uh, Robert Klein. I mean, he is the god to all of us. And Robert Klein is what, you know, is electrified me. And then 
after spending that summer in the Catskills, I ran into Jackie Mason and then he took me to another level. So I'd have to say Robert Klein, Jackie Mason, and then Richard Lewis, you know, Richard Lewis. Yes. Yes. So when I got to LA, I experienced Richard Lewis. So I, I, I have to say, there's a lot of guys I love. I mean, I love Rickles, but there's nothing I do on stage that was similar. Usually the guys that you find that you gravitate towards are more or less in your vein. But again, I was never like Robert Klein, but, but that comedy was that, that East Coast, New York, ethnic stuff, phenomenal. And that's, and, but the Jackie Mason and then the Richard Lewis, those guys, and Woody Allen, of course, but I never got to, you know, Woody Allen was already Woody Allen when I got started. So I would have to say those are my, my idols. If you press me, I'll come up with a few more, but those are the main guys. So if you, so I think that you probably already mentioned this. Um, so basically if you weren't. Also, in- may I say, if you're a comedian, you're starting out, read the Leonard Goldman book about Lenny Bruce. I believe it's called ladies and gentlemen, Lenny Bruce. I may be mistaken or it's just called Lenny. It's, maybe it's just called Lenny, but it's a, it's an amazing, amazing story because it's this Leonard Goldman only wrote three biographies. He did Elvis phenomenal. No one wrote a better biography on Elvis than Leonard Goldman, John Lennon, phenomenal. And then, uh, and Lenny Bruce, and then he died. But this guy's three biographies, you have a chance. If you're a reader, read those three, uh, biographies. But the thing with Lenny Bruce is he really traces how Lenny went from a spritzer, which is uh, like a comedian that doesn't really have deep material, just can spritz, which a lot of guys are. Then he met someone who wasn't in comedy and, uh, he kind of like took over that guy's personality, even though this guy wasn't in show business. And he assumed that guy's personality. And that was that man's name was Joe Ansis. And he remained, I think he passed away a few years ago, but he was Rodney Dangerfield's good buddy. I had the honor of meeting him once. And that's the guy who they say gave Lenny his voice. And then that voice was expressed in the mid-50s-ish by Lenny, then developed totally in the late 50s, early 60s by Lenny. And then that gave birth to everything, to Carlin, to Robert Klein-ish. All these guys were originals. Of course, George Carlin, Robert Klein. But because of Lenny taking the personality of this guy, Joansis, this is what it's so fascinating. Joansis was a normal person who was in, I believe, uh, he sold aluminum siding and had other jobs, but was this amazing genius who lived in Brooklyn, who knew the hippest things in the world and and the most esoteric things in the world, and he imparted that to Lenny Bruce, and then that's how Lenny became Lenny, and it goes on. But that's, you got to read these books, you have to have discipline, and you have to be willing to fail a lot, and what else do you want to know? Should I go on? I know it's so boring if you're not in show. No, 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 no. I mean, uh, this is all very fascinating stuff coming from my... The problem with stand-up now is you can't get on stage. When I hit L.A. in 1978, comedy... I was there the fourth week after Mork and Mindy was on television. So comedy was... You want to talk about a pimple. It was just, it was a gigantic pimple that hadn't even popped. It was still growing. It was like on, there were lines at the comedy store, which I was not privileged to perform at for a long time after 1978, because I really wasn't that funny at that point. But on a Monday night, there was always that chance that Robin Williams would pop in. So there were three different rooms at the comedy store and there would be lines to get into all three. It was like 
comedy was like, uh, well, there's books out now that have been written in the past few years that describe that era. I think there's going to be a Showtime series that encapsulates that. So yeah, it's all true and you'll see all that. But yes, it was hot. Now, it's the bubble popped, I'd say in the late 80s. It just got overkill. There were comedy clubs everywhere. Comedy was wa- so watered down. And I think comedy is very bad now. There's just so many people doing so little. But Anyway, that's just my opinion. It could, there's people think it's the greatest it's ever been. So everyone's entitled to their opinion. But now no one goes out anymore for comedy. It's because it's just so, so much overkill. So now the worst of the worst has happened. And thank God I never had to experience this. But you have to bring your own audience. You have to pay to go on stage. You have to, like, annoy people at work and say, hey, I'm going to do uh, stand-up. Yeah, but we saw you two weeks ago and you didn't do well. Are you going to have new material? Uh, no. So so you have, and and then when these, your friends come, they get hit up to, they got to pay a $10 cover. They got to pay $20 in drinks. Oh, and you lose all your friends. It's just terrible. And you still bomb because you just can't be great. It just takes so long. So comedy's in a real weird thing. So now you see these YouTube guys that spring up that aren't necessarily doing stand up, but whatever they're doing, they're getting hits. And those guys are becoming very, very popular. What else? So when you're not but doing comedy... Else, what else would you like? I just hate getting so inside because this turns off regular people. But then again, who's listening to this? You may have no viewer. I may be the only person listening to this, and I may not listen to it. So who knows? But yes, I'm sorry if I get so inside. <laughs> to go. And also, I would I, say I, to go along with what you were saying, I would say uh, also have very thick skin. Uh, there are some people who just uh, first time that they hear something bad, oh, you suck or something like that, they just want to automatically quit. So I think having a very thick skin it also would play along into what you're saying. Well, if I can make one plug, there's no money to be made here. I I've had a career of failure. I mean, I'm known as a guy because I went to I, I have a great look. And because I went to Los Angeles before I was ready, which is also a very bad thing to do. Never let people see you until you're ready. But you couldn't tell me that. So I was convinced I was ready when I was good 10, 15 years from being ready. So when I hit L.A., uh, everybody came and saw me and I stunk. So I spent a good part of those 23 years just trying to dig out of this tremendous hole. I mean, I could see China from my hole. It was so deep. And then I finally dug out of it by writing a one-person show. The title of the show was called Other Than My Health, I Have Nothing. And today I don't feel so good. And it actually was a very funny show. I I don't brag about myself. This I do brag about. It's a great show. You can read reviews about it and you can actually watch it on YouTube. If you look me up, you can see the show. It's the whole hour and 15 minutes of it. I might be and the only one that show. ever looks you up. Excuse me? I said, I, so I might be the only one that ever looks you, you up. The only one, but watch this show. It's great. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 and that almost turned my, and that show is all about my failure. I was picked to co-star with Carol O'Connor on a show called Archie Bunker's Place, and I got fired at the last minute. Johnny Carson one night walked into the improv, and he never went to the improv. And that one night, I happened to be, I was the doorman then, but the comic didn't show up, so I went on in front of Johnny Carson, and I got to be seen by Johnny Carson. (laughs) And it resulted in one of the most 
horrific nights of my life and of any comic. It's a, I won't tell you the story. You have to go watch the show on, on YouTube. Um, but yes, I'm known for these terrible, terrible stories. Uh, do you watch Seinfeld at all? Sure. Okay, the character Banya, do you know who that guy is on the show if you watch the show? So that character was created about me by Fred Stoller, who's a very funny comedian, who was a writer on the show. And they created that episode about the soup. It's called S-O-U-P because what happened? I started lifting weights and I outgrew my Armani suit. So I gave them to Fred. I mean, that's the whole idea. So they, it caused a big thing between me and Fred, which I didn't realize of, of, of wanting a meal because I gave him the suit. So he created this episode. They called me in to read for that part. And of course, I didn't get it. I got It was given to um, Steve Heitner, a phenomenal actor. He went very far with that part, but that part is, is me. And these are, so these are all stories that are in the one man show and, um, you know, how I was able to make lemonade from lemons. And then the show became such a hit that I almost got a deal with, uh, CBS and I came very, very, very close and it didn't happen. So that's when I realized, you know, Hey, I really did, uh, give it the best shot I had. And I was, you know, I had to deal with it for a couple of years, but I kind of washed that fame thing out of my system was not easy, but it was done. How's so, that for a story? There you go. I, that yeah. is, I, I love hearing the truth about things. Um, that's just the, the kind of guy that I am. Excuse me, my friend was calling. Sorry. That's my ringtone. It's funny. Is here. I play a little bit of. Do you recognize that song? No, I can't say that I do. That's called Ajita. <laughs> and that's from the Woody Allen movie, um, Danny, uh, Broadway Danny Rose, which is every comic that wants to be in comedy must watch the original producers with Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder, and he must watch Broadway Danny Rose. And that's the song, you got to watch it, and that's the song that Nick Apollo Forte the character of the movie, that's his uh, famous song. So I use it as my uh, ringtone. Very funny. So now, if anyone's listening that heard that song, they're on the floor screaming that no, gets it. But it's a, you have to be, that's a very hip thing that just happened. So if anyone is rolling on the floor laughing, I salute you. Everybody else, go watch Broadway Danny Rose and then you'll be able to be part of the joke if you want to. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, 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 no worries. When you're not doing comedy, what are some things that you like to do in your free time? Well, you know, I, I was a very bad student. And when I started going on these ships, you have, you, you don't kill time, you assassinate time. You know, you go on these ships, you only perform once a week and you have to be on the ship, you know, for a week at a time. You have all this downtime. So I started to read and I became... Uh, I love history and I started to read and, and, and I can't stop reading and I, I just love history. And I only wish someone would give me a test because all the C's that I got in D's in school, I know I could ace any kind of test. As long as it's not math and science, I know I could ace a lot of tests now, but a lot of good it's going to do me. But I love to read. I like to walk and ride a bicycle and it sounds boring, but that's, you know, you want to keep yourself as healthy as possible because it, at my age, you know, I, I, and especially where I live, I live in, you know, I live amongst all these senior citizens. I live around people. I just had dinner the other night with a couple celebrating, listen to this, their 73rd 
wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. Forget about being 73. These people are 93 and they're celebrating their 73rd wedding anniversary. So I'm around people, you know, this is, you know, this is a one-stop place. There's no, you don't come here and then go somewhere else. You come here, you go upstairs. You don't go, you don't go, you don't levitate sideways. There's only one way to go after here. So you want to keep as good of, you want to stay in as best shape as you can. So, uh, uh, that's why exercise becomes very important. And my friends, I got great friends that I have. That was him on the phone. One of my buddies calling, probably wanting to know what's going on tonight, uh, meet for coffee or something. And then the best part of the year is when the season, the condo season, when the shows, when the condos are in business here, which is really like late December through March, it's tantamount, the entertainment on some nights, because every condo community is about 60 of them that have shows. And they've got 60 shows, you know, like take a Saturday night, there's 60 shows going on. And they're using the best of the best of, of let's say, U.S. and Canadian talent. Now, these are people that you're not seeing on TV. There's a giant level between fame and what you see on TV and then underneath that and underneath that is maybe talent that's as good if not better than what you see on tv but they're waiting for their break or they had their break it's fame is just a weird thing but talent there's lots of so on some of these saturday nights down here in season there's great 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 talent and then we all and but there's no place open after the show so everybody goes to kind of like the cheesecake factory so on any given night that's in boca raton florida you know there's five or six great comedians there and singers and all these people that you, you ring a bell or don't ring a bell, but it doesn't matter. They, they're all really talented people and we have, a, we have a lot of fun. So, um, so you've also gotten to travel the world to different countries. On the ships. Yeah. The ships. I, I've been every, I haven't been everywhere, but I've been, I've been to the Middle East. I've been to India. I've been to Asia. All I've been to Norway, Russia, Ukraine, Canada, the South. Yeah, I guess everywhere. I just I haven't been to the Philippines. There's a spotty places, but yes. And I'll tell you why. Because I have an act that works well for senior citizens. I don't have an act that plays great for families and I, and young people look at me as like some old geezer. They're not interested. I, I get that. I'm okay with that. So I work on these five star ships that are like, it's like the Ritz Carlton. It's like, you know, 800 thread sheets on my bed, you know, and uh, thread count, whatever they say and luxury food. And I get treated like a passenger. So the thing is, is these particular ships like Oceana, Regent, these are lines. These are not run-of-the-mill lines. These are exquisite lines. Uh, Azamara, Crystal, they don't have a lot of ships in their fleet. They maybe have two or four or five ships, so they don't always leave out of the United States. So a lot of times they leave out of Asia, you know, northern Europe, southern Europe. So you have to fly to pick up these uh, pick up these ships. So, yes, that's, that's my forte or senior citizen cruise lines. And these are some of the wealthiest people. Like you have a you start up a conversation with these passengers and you find out, well, after the war, you know, I opened up a gas station in Oklahoma and you're like looking at this guy. Uh-huh. And then, you know, at the end of the stories and I have like 519 of them and I gave them to my children. You know, these are gazillionaires, these people. I met the head of what's that uh, 
Winnebago. I remember reading an article about Winnebago, how the company started. I was reading like Fortune magazine. Then a day later, I'm talking to this guy in the in the cafe, and blah blah, and he mentions he mentions Winnebago. I go, I know all about it. I read an article yesterday. And he goes, Well, I was the very very modestly he goes. I was the president, and he's the one that took them out. I guess they had ups and downs. Anyway, the point is, I meet very famous, not famous, but very wealthy people, very successful. And uh, it's a great honor to to make them laugh. So, also my my last question, and, and I yes, think sir. that this is a uh, good thing to end on. Uh, you once did a acrobatic stunt. No, I, I know you talked about that. That was that's a, that's a, that's in my. That's funny. Go ahead, tell it, and then I'll explain it. <laughs> so uh, basically, it was on the Ed Sullivan show. Right. Okay. So that's in my bio. No, that's just a, that was written by the guy who directed my uh, one man show. I had two directors there. One was Hiram Caston, a great director, great creator, and Dan Cohen. So Dan Cohen was writing a bio for me. So he, that's just a tongue in cheek kind of funny thing about, uh, uh, that is not true. So no, I was never on the Ed Sullivan show, although I used to watch it with my parents every Sunday night, like everybody else uh, our age, because that was, that was uh, the show. That was it back then. So no, I, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but I was never on the Ed Sullivan <laughs> show. But I have met a lot of people, and they're still alive that were on that show and did great. And uh, so I have the honor of, of that. It seems like that if you were on either Johnny Carson or Ed Sullivan, your career was pretty much made. Well, first it was Ed Sullivan, and then it morphed into Johnny Carson. So, and before that, it was, I guess, Steve Allen. And before that, I don't know. I'd have to do some research. I Jack Parr? Uh, no, Jack Parr oh, was no, yeah, yeah. So, so he, Steve Allen. He was after Steve Allen. Yeah. You have to read those. There's much better historians like this guy, Cliff Nesterhoff. This guy is probably in his 40s, and this guy – has spent his uh, career meeting all these old timers like I have. I used to hang out with Milton Berle, but this guy Cliff has made it his passion. So he's, he's like a historian. There's a lot, there's a guy named Bruce Charrett who I've met. These are guys that know the history better than I do. But I, yeah, I'm one of those guys who used to hang out at the Friar Friars club in LA and meet as many of these people and exchange stories with them. But I don't know the exact chain of events, but I encourage people that are interested, read that Leonard Goldman book. Book halfway, it becomes a, a story about heroin abuse, and I never read that ha- the second half of the book. It's, it's disgusting, it's black, it's horrible, and it doesn't capture my attention because that's, quite frankly, I didn't set out to become a heroin user. I just want to be a comedian. So, <laughs> But the comedy part of that is fascinating because – he just took another person's personality. Not that that's bad or good. He took another person's personality. And that's the Lenny Bruce that people to this day are inspired to become. And it was just a guy, this brilliant guy, but a guy who wasn't, who was a paranoid, couldn't go on stage, germ freak, kind of weird guy. But, but you know, that's just a, that's why it's such a, a good read. Great read. All right. Well, yes. well, well, Steve, I want to thank you, so, or uh, Bruce, I'm sorry. Oh, Steve, whatever you want, anything you want. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, Mike. <laughs> um, so, uh, Bruce, I do want to thank you so much. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. 
for your time, yeah. and it's uh, definitely been so fun to to talk to you and and uh, hear about your your journey, even if you never did a acrobatic stunt on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> Thanks for having. Me.